Amen, amen. Turn to the person next to you, say, it is good to see you today. Amen. A lot of exciting things happening, happening here at Victory. God is moving. God is answering the prayers of his people who desire to do the will of God, to do the work of God and build up his kingdom. Amen. We are doing everything we can do by God's grace. But we want to pray that the Holy Spirit would anoint us to be more effective and to give the increase to everything that we set our hands to for the glory of the name of Jesus. Amen. If you open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, I want to continue a teaching on one of the most widely known and best loved parables of Jesus. It's considered by some to be the best short story ever written. One preacher said, it is very familiar, yet it is so full of sacred meaning that it always has some fresh lesson for us. It is the parable that we now know as the prodigal son, the prodigal son. But I believe that we have a a fresh lesson, a fresh perspective this morning. Now I'm going to shock some of you. Turn to the person next to you, say get ready. Some of us who have maybe church background maybe some familiarity with the Bible, that we have been reading it all wrong. We've been reading the the story all wrong. We've come to the wrong conclusions. And by the grace of God, as we look into the scriptures this morning, I want us to get, get it, get the point that Jesus was really trying to make. Because if you miss the point, You miss the moral. You miss the the lesson, right? Isn't that true? So this parable was meant to teach us a lesson, a truth. And last week we looked at the younger son, who we call or has become known as the prodigal son, although the Bible doesn't call him that. But we learned some lessons. We learned some truths last week. But the prodigal son is not the focus of the story. He is an essential character, but ultimately the parable is about the older son. Why would I say that? I'm glad you asked. I want to read it from the New International Version. I have the New King James Version, but I just like to give a fresh, um, fresh perspective on it. But if you look at chapter 15 of Luke, The word of God tells us in verses 1 and 2, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered and eats with them. So we have in these two verses, two classes of people, two groups of people that were around Jesus. There was the group of the tax collectors and sinners. So the tax collectors were classified and grouped along with sinners. Now, some of you might think that's a fair uh, grouping. 
but not all tax collectors are bad, um, but what really was going on here in the first century, tax collectors, especially those that were Jewish by birth, if they were working for the Romans, they were considered traitors, but on top of that, tax collectors didn't only collect tax for the government, they collected tax to put in their pocket. So they were really swindlers, they were really deceptive, they were cheaters, and so they were classified with the rest of the group that were called sinners. And they gathered around to hear Jesus. But we have in verse 2, but. Everyone say, but. but. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Now these were the religious leaders. These were the ones who knew the law of God. They were the, supposed to be the spiritual leaders of the people and examples in their prayer, in their worship, in their lifestyle. They said this, they said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Imagine, imagine that, that, that they were critical of Jesus because he was reaching out to the very ones that needed him. So from that standpoint, Jesus then launches into three uh, parables, three teachings to really expose the folly and the ridiculous nature of that accusation. So we're going to look at this this morning because we have to understand Jesus really was speaking these parables to get the attention of the Pharisees and the scribes. Again, they were the religious leaders. So the target or, or the ones that Jesus was, was really directing this at were not the wayward ones, but the religious people. These were the religious people who felt smug in their self-righteousness. Jesus wanted the religious people to see themselves in the oldest son, and we're going to read it. Jesus wanted them to see themselves in the oldest son and repent. The only problem is it's really hard to see your need for repentance when you don't believe you've sinned. Isn't that true? You see, in the church, you and I can become guilty of focusing on the obvious outward sins like those of the prodigal son or the youngest son. You see, those sins are, are outward, but sin is not just outward, it's inward. The older son, his sins were inward and they were hidden, but they were just as deadly. Are you still with me? What were his sins? He had the sin of pride, and we're going to look into this. He had the sin of being judgmental, being disrespectful, lacking in compassion. I want to read a couple of verses of scripture that just bear this out a little bit before we actually read from Luke chapter 15. In Mark chapter 7, the word of God tells us that for Jesus speaking, for from within... Out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So, so Jesus is, is directing this parable, trying to shock the, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders into uh, sensibility 
and share this parable to really try to uh, get to the heart of the matter. Because the, 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 the religious leaders were very clever at justifying sin when it was in their life. They were quick to point it out to everybody else, but they were, were, were very good at justifying and appearing righteous before others. In another parable, again, related to this topic, Jesus told about a Pharisee. Again, he's a religious leader. He's a regular churchgoer. He's faithful in ministry. He's faithful in meticulously obeying the commands of God. But this Pharisee goes to the house of God. He goes to church, and he prays like this. And next to him is, is a sinner. And the sinner uh, is praying, but the, the Pharisee is looking up to God and saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I tithe all of my money. I do all these good works. And then the Bible says that the sinner was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So Jesus asked the question to the crowd. He said, which one went home justified? And the obvious answer was the one who humbled himself and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. See, this morning, when we look at this parable, we will either see ourselves as the younger son or the eldest son. But the, the, the bottom line is we all need to see our need of Jesus. We all need to see our need of God's grace. We all need to see our need of forgiveness. Maybe the younger person, uh, uh, identifying with the younger son, you don't have to be young to identify with the younger son. Hello? See, the younger son in the parable pursues pleasure through self-discovery and the fleeting pleasures of sin only to find turning from God left him empty, broken, and depressed. The older son tried to be good, do the right thing, but became proud, harsh, and condescending. Why don't we read the story this morning Verse, chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. For this younger son to say that, basically he was saying, Father, I wish you were dead because I want your money. I want the inheritance. The father divided the property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all that he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. We could only imagine what that was. Here he was uh, out from underneath the covering of the father's house, the, the right rules, the regulations, the godly living, and now he goes to a far country and the Bible says he just goes wild. Um, that happens sometimes when young people go off to college. Not long after that, well, it says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Not only did he go broke personally, but now the whole economy around him was in uh, depression. It wasn't just a recession, it was depression. Here it was that a severe famine. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. According to Leviticus in the Old Testament, 
for the Jewish people which, of which this young man would have been in the context uh, to even come in contact with pigs. Pigs were considered unclean animals and they were not even to touch them lest they would be defiled. So look how low he's sinking. At this point, he is now feeding pigs, but if that isn't bad enough, he longs to fill his stomach with the pods or the food that the pigs were eating. eating. But no one gave him anything. His money was gone, and so was his friends. Isn't that the case in life sometimes? When he came to his senses, I love that verse. I love that. When he came to his senses, what does that mean? It means that he had an epiphany. It means that his eyes were open. It means that he saw clearly. Someone has said, sin is insanity. When you are uh, uh, caught and entangled in sin, your mind is poison, your will is paralyzed, all of your life is in confusion. But there comes a moment when the Holy Spirit touches the heart of a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, where there's revelation, where there's understanding, where there's an enlightenment, and that we see things clearly. We know that we have a need. We know that we're sinners in the sight of God. We need his grace and we cry out for mercy and we confess our sins. We repent of our sins and we put our faith in God. And he had that moment. He had that moment of coming to his senses. Let me just say this, something that we can pray for the prodigals, that we can pray for people that are not following God, loved ones, family, friends, relatives. We can pray, God, let them come to their senses. And here's what he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. That tells us that the father was longing and waiting and hoping that his son would return. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. I told you in the culture of that day, for an elderly man, a man of his stature, to run was not dignified. It wasn't socially accepted, but he put aside all the social norms and what people thought, and the Bible says he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, notice that as uh, this son began to give this pre-rehearsed um, uh, speech, the father interrupted him and said to the servants, quick, Bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, let us have a feast and celebrate. Now the fatted calf was, uh, was saved for special occasions and when you kill the fatted calf, there was a party going on in the whole community, the whole village was invited because this was a big deal. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Now at this point, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders would say, yes, amen, good preaching. But something, there's a change, there's a shift in the narrative. Look at verse 25, meanwhile, 
the eldest son was in the field. Now, now this is what's directed at the religious leaders, the church-going people, uh, the spiritual people, but, but the ones that still needed to get right in their own heart with God. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He heard, there is a party going on. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry. Refused to go in. So his father went out. He must have been making quite a ruckus for his father to become aware of amid all, amidst all of the, the celebrating that was going on that his son was making, making a, having a hissy fit. So his father went out and pleaded with him and he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and he is found. You see, in this passage of scripture, we have Jesus trying to plead with the Pharisees and the religious leaders to have an understanding to turn themselves, to turn back to God. Because how many of you know you can be religious but not right with God? The, older, the elder brother here is again representing the Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders, but the elder brother has some issues. Do you know sometimes church people could have issues? Turn to the person next to you and say, he's not talking about you. Come on, can we all be honest this morning? We're guilty of being like the elder brother. We're all guilty. He has some issues. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. The Bible says he was angry. He had, a, he had some anger issues. Have you ever met some angry church people? Again, not in this church. They're in other churches. <laughs> verse 29. He answered his father and said, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Lo? That would have been like saying, Yo? To your father, some of you Africans, you'd get a beating for that. Hello? Lo, yo, where's the respect? Not father. He says, look, imagine the disrespect. And then the pride, verse 29. I have been serving you. I never transgressed. I me, look at the words, he's focused on himself. Then look at verse 30. But as soon as this son of yours, he doesn't even say brother, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf. Here he has no mercy 
and no grace. But those are just the fruit of the issues, right? Let me just, let me just tie this all together in, in a nice, neat little package, hopefully. Those are just the fruit, right, of his problem. Anger, disrespect, pride, lack of mercy. That's the fruit. Do you want to know what the root is? The root is that the religious people or religious people or you and I can become, actually become alienated from the Father. See, we just think that outward sins are what uh, cause us to go away from God. But you know pride is a killer? You know pride is very bad in our lives and we're all prone to it. You do some, something, somebody pats you on the back, you, have, you, 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 know, you do a ministry, or you preach a good word, or you sing a good song, or you help somebody, somebody pats you on the back, and all of a sudden you think you're Mother Teresa. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm so great. You know, God uses you. It, it, it's just, we're just used by God. God's the one. You know, it was the donkey that brought Jesus in to the city. Imagine if the donkey thought, wow, look how great I am because I carry Jesus. You're just a donkey. Pride is, is so very real. And, and pride is one of the sins that you could have and not even be able to identify Every other sin pretty much is identifiable. You can see that. But if you have pride, you're blind to yourself. You're not self-aware and you're blind to that sin. And, and that's a great sin, you know, because the Bible said God gives grace to the humble, but he resists a proud person. It doesn't, it doesn't name any sin, other sin he resists, but a proud person. Why? Because a proud person thinks that they're all set. They don't need God because they are acquiring, right, acquiring righteousness in and of themselves. But here's what I believe. He, he was also alienated. He too, like the younger son, was alienated from the father. He lacked intimacy with God. I want you to hear this. I want you to get this. He lacked intimacy with the father. Look what the father had to say to him. Son, you're always with me. In other words, he didn't even realize the relationship he had. His relationship was based upon do's and don'ts, rules and regulation. How many of you know Christianity is not about rules and religion? It's about a relationship. It's about a relationship with a heavenly father that loves us unconditionally, that loves us completely. We sang about it this morning. There's no, there's no lie he won't tear down, no mountain he won't climb up. He, won't, he will sacrifice and do everything to meet us at a point of need and to have fellowship with us. That's why he created us. Jesus teaching his disciples, when you pray, say, our father. That word in, in the Aramaic was Abba. Abba. My grandson, I'm known as Papa, he calls me Baba. He's more biblical, uh, closer to Abba. But that, that word Abba is a term of endearment and one of intimacy. It was a phrase, it was a word that could be used to communicate the, the closeness and the intimacy of a relationship. I think some of us, uh, matter of fact, all of us, whether it's our upbringing in a, in a particular home that we were brought up in or our religious upbringing, sometimes we could have a distorted view of God. 
a distorted view. Maybe God is harsh. Maybe God could be, seem unpleasing or, or unpleasable. And maybe we, we, we carry this into our life and a lot of how we function, a lot of what we do is based on that, a distorted view. But the, the truth of the matter is, God desires us to know him as a heavenly father. That word know means to not just theoretically know him, but to have a heart knowledge. To really know him in an intimate way. David, the man after the heart of God, he says, one thing have I desired. One thing have I sought after, that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord. Paul in the New Testament said, that I might know him. See, if not, Christianity can be reduced to a joyless duty. Hello? The Bible says, serve the Lord with gladness. The Bible says, come into his presence with singing. Romans chapter 8 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. See, that through our new birth, now we have a relationship with God. It's not one to fear, but it's one of sonship. We are now adopted into the family of God. And now we cry, Abba. Again, a term of endearment, a term that communicates intimacy with God. We are able to say, Father. The scripture goes on, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're ears of God and join ears with Christ. What does that mean? It means that everything that belongs to God has been deeded to his son Jesus and we are ears along with Christ. The Bible says we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, because of this lack of intimacy with the father, the eldest son, again, representing the religious leaders, the religious people, he failed to enjoy the blessings of the father. What did the father say? He said, son, all that I have is yours. He never availed himself of it. How many times Christians, people, church people, we fail to enjoy the blessings of God? You know, I have learned that if the devil cannot rob your blessings, he will try to rob the joy of your blessings. Oh, I don't know if you got that. That's a revelation. If the devil can't rob your, your, your blessings, some of you are so blessed and you don't even know it. Some of you are so blessed and you're blinded to all that you have, spiritually and physically and materially. Do you know that two-thirds of the world are praying for your problems? They're praying right now, I wish I had the problem of that person in the USA. I wish I had their job. I wish I had their apartment. I wish I had their broken down car. There are 8 billion people on planet Earth. So that means 5.333 billion people are praying for your problems. Oh, no, you're not getting it this morning. You're not getting it this morning. Come on. They're praying. They wish they had the problem. Why? But we've been so blinded by, by more materialism or blinded by, by fear and confusion that we fail to see how blessed we are. The devil.
devil wants to rob your joy this morning. The devil wants to rob the peace that you have. Christianity is not something to be endured. It is something to be enjoyed. Jesus said, ask that your joy may be full. There's joy even in the battle. Amen. There's peace even in the storm. But you see, because this eldest son representing again the religious leaders and religious people, they, they failed to see and understand the heart of the father. Look at verse 32. It was right that we should, be, should make merry. They, they didn't understand that the elder brother didn't realize that the heart of the father was for all people. For the younger brother and the elder brother. The heart of God is for all people. I think we are in danger in our church because culture is getting so bad. Because culture is so in our face and because some, some segments of society are very militant and aggressive in, in propagating and pushing their agenda, we have been reduced to fighting against them in the flesh. And we've begun to hate people. God doesn't hate anybody. God loves all people. We're to pray that they would come back to the Father. And we have to pray and make sure that we ourselves as, as Christians are not lost and distant from the Father ourselves. Because it could happen in the church. That could happen. You see, you know, the younger son was, was very bad. But the older son on the outward was very good. But you know what? His own goodness kept him from the Father. It wasn't his sin. It was his goodness. You see, you can miss God through immorality and irreligion, or you can miss God through morality and religion. Oh, I don't know if I have time to unpack all of that. But we can miss God through our own morality. Our own morality says, I can keep the rules, I can do what's right, and I can earn God's favor. No, you can't. The Bible says that our righteousness, our good works, are as filthy rags compared to the righteous robes of Jesus Christ that are given to us spiritually when we put our faith in him. I'd like to read a, a, a story. It's actually a parable. So I got a parable to illuminate another parable. Once upon a time, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. So he took it to his king and said, my lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I wanted to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So he turned to, and as he turned to go, the king said, wait. You are clearly a good steward of the earth. I own a plot of land right next to yours. I want to give it to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, my, if that is what you get for a carrot, what if you give the king something better? So the next day the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my lord, I breed horses, 
and this is the greatest horse I'll ever breed or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you, took the horse and merely dismissed him. The noble man was perplexed, so the king said, let me explain. That gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. You see, the older brother was doing a lot of what he did for his own selfish purposes. And sometimes in the church we have to repent. We have to ask God forgive us because we're quick to point out the outward sins of others, but we, we forget about gossiping. I didn't hear any amens. We forget about covetousness. We forget about sowing discord amongst the brethren. We forget about having roast pasta for lunch. That's just as bad. That, what, it, what that means is you, you, you talk about the pastor after the sermon. Or, no, nobody does that here. But, but we, we take those sins lightly and we condemn others. You see, Jesus was driving home the point. And what's interesting is that this parable, it's left as a cliffhanger. It's left to be continued. You've got to wait till next season to, to find out what happens. But Jesus purposely left them hanging because his desire was he wanted to see the religious leaders repent also. So he gave them the opportunity. He delivered this parable with the punchline and he left it open. Would you stand together with me this morning with the worship team? Would you just please come back? As I was studying for this, I came across a book. It was called The Prodigal God. The Prodigal God. What does that mean? The word prodigal means excessive, wasteful, extravagant. That's where we get the prodigal son because he wasted all of his resources. But in this book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal God, I know that, that title might have shocked some of you or made you have a question mark, but what he was communicating was prodigal in the truest sense of the definition means to be extravagant, to spend it all. And so what does that mean for us this morning that God was prodigal in that sense? That he gave his all. He gave, he spent it all on the cross. When he gave his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is for moral people and immoral people. That's for religious people and irreligious people. It's for all people. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, we're all sinners. There's good sinners and there's bad sinners. There's moral sinners and there's immoral sinners. 
Again, we tend to look at outward sins. God looks at the heart. All of us, all of us, at times, we might have been like the younger brother or we might be like the older brother. Either way, we need to come back to the Father. We need to come back to a God who loves us unconditionally. We need to grow in our intimacy and our closeness with God. Realizing His love is everlasting, His love is unconditional. We're never, we should never be kept from God. Some people stop coming to church because they're having a tough time. Some people stop coming to church because they're sinning. Keep coming. Keep coming back to the Father. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. That's why the apostles said, keep yourself in the love of God. We need to know God as our loving heavenly Father. The Father in this parable, parable represented the heavenly Father. He represented the heaven. He loved both of his sons. He told the eldest son, son, you're always, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours, but, but you failed to avail yourself of it. You, you, you had a, mis, a distorted view. You, you, you said you're slaving. No, you're not slaving. It's a joy to serve God. We don't slave. We don't, oh, I have to do this. No, that shouldn't be our attitude. It should be, I get to do this. I get to serve God. I get to please God. I get to do the will of God. I get to go to church. I get to be in ministry. Not a slaving attitude, one motivated, but motivated by a fear, but a, an attitude of joy to serve God, to do the will of God. As we close this morning, I just want us to pray. The desire of the Heavenly Father is that we all draw near to Him. Wherever we're at today, if you're sinning, if you're uh, outward sins. The Bible says some people's sins are, are, are obvious. Others are not so obvious. But God, in God's eyes, they're all seen. Nothing is covered in the eyes of God. He sees our heart. That's why the psalmist said, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a new heart. God, renew my heart, God. So let's pray together. Just take a few moments. You could come to these altars. You could kneel at your seat. You can find a place to pray for a few moments. And then we're going to play a song. But just direct your heart back to God. Let's know him today as Abba, Father. Intimate with God. Close to God. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the word of God. Father, I pray that the truth would be quickened to our hearts. Not the words of a man, not the, the, the illustrations of a man, but, but the truth of God, the scriptures, Father. Just making real who we are, what our relationship is with you. Father, touch people today. Lord God, deliver us from fears. Deliver us from a distorted view of you, God. Let us see you as that prodigal God, that, that, that one who has given it all for us, who loves us dearly, who desires intimacy with us, who wants closeness. Father, I pray, Lord, that whether we identify with the younger, younger brother or the elder brother, that we would turn to you with all our hearts. Father, bless the word. God, may we go, may we grow, may we make this, be disciples and make disciples. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Before we leave, let's worship the Lord with a song. Let's meditate upon what we've heard. Let's talk to God. Let's draw near to God this morning. I heard a thousand stories of the world. They think you're alive, but I heard a tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone.